You're listening to On Attachment, a place to learn about how attachment shapes the way we experience relationships and where you'll gain the guidance, knowledge, and practical tools to overcome insecurity and build healthy, thriving relationships. I'm your host, relationship coach, Stephanie Rigg, and I'm really glad you're here. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of On Attachment. In today's episode, we're talking all about some common misconceptions about avoidant attachment. Now, today's episode is a little bit special because I'm recording live from Bangkok, of all places, and I'm joined by my partner, Joel. Hi, Joel. Hi, guys. (laughs) So, it's a bit of a funny story. I'm going to expose how disorganized I am in telling the truth here, but we are on a holiday and I didn't get around to recording a podcast episode before I left. So packed my podcast mic along with my laptop with a view to recording an episode for you from our hotel in Bangkok. And lo and behold, unbeknownst to us, our hotel in Bangkok has a podcast recording studio, (laughs) which is just extremely unlikely, but uh, very opportune. So we are sitting here in a fully fledged podcast recording studio in our hotel in Bangkok And we're going to be talking all about some misconceptions about avoidant attachment. So as you would know, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, it's really important to me to rebalance the scales, I suppose, insofar as understanding avoidant attachment and extending a level of curiosity and compassion to that experience. Obviously, most of my work is around anxious attachment, but I think that it would be fair to say so much of the content all over the internet and everywhere else is often centered on the anxious attachment experience. Uh, And to the extent that it talks about avoidant attachment, it's usually with a view to either demonizing or trying to change your avoidant partner so that you feel better about the relationship. And if you're familiar with my philosophy, notwithstanding the fact that I'm definitely, you know, have lent more anxious and have struggled with anxious avoidant dynamics in my relationship, I don't think that that approach, in fact, I know that that approach of just looking for someone to blame and looking to explain away all of the problems of your relationship via, you know, what's wrong with your partner and what you can do about that tends not to be very fruitful uh, and it tends to actually keep you really stuck in places that are very disempowering. Um, So it's always important to me to give a little more context to avoid detachment, to invite people to pause and to get curious and to step outside the self-centeredness. And I say that, you know, descriptively rather than critically, but I think when we're in fear or we're in stress, we are naturally self-centered. All of us, we are going to be focused on our experiences. That's what we know so deeply. Uh, But to step outside that self-centeredness and really get to know what's going on for our partners, for the people we're in relationship with, rather than designating that as wrong and trying to change it as our way of creating safety for ourselves. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Some common misconceptions about avoidant attachment uh, so that you can maybe have a little more understanding uh, and just more depth of awareness, which I think is always a beautiful thing to be cultivating in your relationship. Now, before we dive into that, 
a quick announcement that Healing Anxious Attachment, which many of you will know is my signature program, is coming back soon. So in a few weeks' time, we're going to be relaunching what will be the seventh cohort of the course, which is pretty cool. Uh, There are already a few hundred people on the wait list, which is amazing to see. I'm always so honoured and humbled by the interest in this program. Uh, And this next round will be a particularly special one because it'll be the last one that I'll be running before I... Uh, check out for maternity leave for a good few months at least. So I don't know when the next round of the program will be, uh, likely sometime later in the year, Um, but no current plans for that as I will be playing it by ear a little with a new baby. So if you're someone who struggles with anxious attachment and you're interested in a program that's very comprehensive, uh, that's been tried and tested by over 1,500 people over the past two years, I would love for you to jump on the wait list via the link in the show notes or directly on my website and doing so will guarantee you a spot in the program and also exclusive early bird discounts. Okay, so let's dive into this conversation around common misconceptions about avoidant attachment. And I should have said in the introduction, Joel is not just sitting here next to me for the fun of it. He's (laughs) here to weigh in and offer the perspective of someone who has more avoidant patterns Mm. Um, and you know, while I've said many times before, and I'll say again here that it's not like every avoidant person is the same. So it's not like Joel can speak to, you know, the inner workings of the avoidant mind in a very generic and universal sense. Um, but I think it is helpful. And I know from feedback from previous episodes where Joel's been involved, it is really helpful to hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak, rather than just hearing it coming from me, who is more an observer of that experience rather than in the driver's seat of it. So with that being said, the first misconception that we want to talk about is that avoidant people have an aversion to relationships generally, or don't want to be in relationships, that they are, you know, that they avoid relationships altogether. I think that's a common one. I think just because of the name avoidant, there's this sense of like avoidant people don't want to be in relationships. And I see that so much on like in comment sections on Instagram, on YouTube, people say really blunt things like, well, if they don't want to be in relationships, they should just go and live alone and die or something, you know, very kind of petulant and and ill thought through. Um, But I think there is that sense of like, well, if you don't want to be in relationship, then why do you go around being in relationship? Um, And I think that that just really misses what's happening when it comes to avoidant attachment. Uh, It's not so much an aversion to relationships, right? And, And many, I would say most people with avoidant patterns, remember we're talking about like up to 25% of the population here, maybe even more. Of course, most of those people seek out and are in relationships. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's really much more nuanced than just, oh, you don't like relationships. You don't like intimacy. You don't want that for yourself. Um, It's more that being in those situations can bring up a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And as it can for anxious people, it just tends to be different stuff and provoke different protective responses. Um, But just because of the the life experience that people with avoidant attachment have had, it can mean that certain things about being in relationship can activate 
stress for them and can cause stress. Uh, and that stress is dealt with in a variety of ways that kind of fall under this banner of what we call avoidant attachment. Yeah, I think I'll input here for the avoidance. Yeah, it is a, a misconception to say that avoidance don't want to be in relationships. People who don't want to be in relationships by choice aren't in relationships, but you find many avoidance in relationships. The difficulty there is generally around intimacy and getting close because the way that they've, you know, I have seek security in this world is to spend time with myself, spend time to gather my thoughts, um, to regulate my emotions. And I find it really challenging doing that with someone else. And it's something that I've really had to work on. It doesn't mean I didn't want to be in a relationship. It's just that I was having a very hard time being in a relationship because I was yet to develop that self-awareness and develop the tools and, and it really came down to the trust and having a loving partner um, that wasn't just going to judge me from the surface, judge me on a surface level. I think it's a really easy thing and I can completely understand it for those who have been in relationships where it hasn't ended well and it, you can you may come across some literature on attachment and just kind of make sweeping generalizations to a large part of the population but it's it's not as simple as that and on the other side it's it's really the same with anxious attachment you know we don't want to make sweeping generalizations for every individual but i can say for sure that most people want to be supported by other people, whether yeah. in a relationship, whether with family or friends. Some just find it more difficult. Yeah. I think that, you know, ultimately and, and the whole body of work around attachment is predicated on the notion that like we all have these fundamental attachment needs to be to love and be loved, to be cared for, you know, to be seen, to be understood, to be validated, to feel like we belong. Uh, it's just that depending on the experiences that we've had and the patterns that we've developed, um, certain aspects of that can be harder to trust. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I think that it, it is for avoidant folks. It's just like, I don't know how to simultaneously feel. And I, I, I know this is true for you, Joel. I don't know how to be that vulnerable with someone and, and be that seen by them and still feel in control. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that when those two things feel like they're competing, like my sense of being in control of my own safety and like knowing how to take care of myself the way I always have um, and also being connected to you, if I don't know how to hold those things together, often safety will trump connection. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, that is, again, true for all of us. So all of that to say it's not an aversion to the idea of relationships and, and of course, if we don't folks want all of that as much as anyone else does in most cases. Uh, it's just that it can bring up challenges for them as it can for the rest of us, but it just looks a little different. Okay. The next misconception about avoidant attachment is avoidant people only care about themselves. So this one could have sub bullets under it, which is, you know, avoidant people are selfish, avoidant people are narcissists, avoidant people are you know, cold, callous, all of those labels that we often see being... I read all the comments. <laughs> yeah, we read the comments. It hurts. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, but it, it is. It's not. It's not really nice, right? Uh, and again, we can understand that if you've formed those views, that you've probably been hurt, and that's real. Uh, but to then take that and extrapolate, and you know, make it mean something about people at a really fundamental, essential level, I think again misses misses the truth and misses the nuance of you know people are in pain and people are you know if, if we want to use the word selfish again I mentioned this in the last point I think if we're going to call someone selfish for the ways in which they protect themselves we have to acknowledge that we too are selfish in the way that we protect ourselves um, it's just if you happen to be more anxious in your attachment patterns your agenda, <laughs> looks different and it looks relationally focused. It looks more empathetic. <laughs> yeah, it's, but it's, we can be honest and I, you know, put my hand up and can see this within myself that it's, you know, sometimes that doting, self-sacrifice, you know, overgiving, self-abandoning thing is just coming from a place of, again, trying to create some semblance of safety or control for yourself. Um, and, you know, that is with the strings attached of, of, you know, what you need rather than, you know, giving without an agenda. So I think that, you know, we need to acknowledge that stress makes us all selfish. Um, and when we are in relationship and we have insecure attachment patterns, there's generally a lot of stress in the system of that relationship. Uh, and so looking at someone who's more avoidant and labeling them selfish or uncaring because their mode of self-protection is to pull back or, you know, pull away, um, you know, kind of go to their island. Uh, again, I think it's just not capturing the full picture. Um, and, you know, Joel, again, I can throw to you here. I know that you care very much. Very deeply. Yeah, and, and that as with anyone, again, to be told that you don't care or that you're uncaring <laughs> can feel like a deep injustice. There's such an incongruence between your internal experience and how it's being received and that can lead you to shut down further, right? Yeah. Because it's like why why bother trying when I'm just like my efforts aren't landing here. I care so much and yet I'm being told I'm uncaring. Yeah, what it feels like is when I – there's two ways I can take um, if someone – says like I don't care it's like my knee-jerk reaction is like you have no under, no idea how much I care yeah. but you're not understanding how I express it or you just want to see it in the way that you care for the world and I think that's the trap that a lot of us get into we have these unfair expectations of the world to mimic hmm. the way that we want to operate yeah, if it but were we me, I would do this thing. So the fact that you're not doing that thing means you must feel differently to me. <laughs> yeah, we have these unspoken contracts with the yeah. world. I care so deeply uh, to the point where I, uh, and I'm working on it, <laughs> is I foster a lot of guilt that I, I'm not empathetic, I'm selfish, and this was probably the hardest thing about the decision to have kids is I fundamentally thought that I would be too selfish and I would have these conversations over and over again with mates who 
happen to be fathers and, you know, fathers that are, are much older than me and a lot of the feedback I got was, if you think this much about it, you're going to be okay. <laughs> you care. <laughs> and it's just the expression which might seem unfavorable to a lot of people, the way that avoidance show their care or, or, or lack to be able to express their care and communicate it. But I'm not going to talk for everyone here, but I think the majority of people care. The majority of people really want to be cared for. I think we just have a really hard time communicating it and communicating intimacy, communicating our needs. Yeah. And I think that, you know, with that anxious avoidant dynamic, we can acknowledge that oftentimes, and I've spoken about this in different contexts, anxious folks will kind of ask for something and then they might get it, but it's not enough because they're wanting their partner to fill a void inside of like, I just need more reassurance and I need to test and I need to probe and kind of moving the goalposts a little because there is this really deep insecurity there that they're hoping their partner can somehow make go away. And so I think if we can step outside of that and go onto the other side and recognize that when you are putting in effort, but those efforts aren't being seen and all you're getting in response or, you know, the bulk of what you're getting in response is feedback saying still not enough, still not enough. Uh, I think that can be pretty disheartening. Yeah. And we'll have the opposite effect. Yeah. And someone I think, just turns. Yeah. Away. Why bother? Yeah. Um, and so I think that that can really lead to disengagement and withdrawal in mm. someone who's more avoidant. Whereas, again, it's a point of divergence between anxious and avoidant people. I think anxious people, it's like challenge accepted. I'll just try harder and harder and harder and harder and harder to get your validation, to get your approval. It's almost like there's no ceiling to that. Um, whereas avoidant people are, I think, more likely to sort of throw in the towel and say, why should I bother doing this? I'm not being appreciated for it. I'm not being seen for it. You're always upset with me. And this isn't kind of, this isn't worth it almost um, because it seems to just completely lack any kind of efficacy. It's, it's just like not effective. Okay. So the next one is avoiding people don't experience anxiety about their relationships. <laughs> I think this is a really kind of funny one, right? We think anxious attachment, they kind of have a monopoly on anxiety as an emotion, as an experience. But the reality is avoidant attachment involves a lot of anxiety. Yeah. It just tends to be anxiety that swirls around internally rather than anxiety that is acted out. Uh, and it kind of, you know, flows on nicely from the previous point around what you were saying, Joel, of like how much you can just like ruminate over things and, and worry and think about things almost, I would say more than I do, probably mm -hmm. a lot more than I do. Um, you know, the tendency to focus on potential worst case scenarios and all of the things that could go wrong. A lot of those hallmarks of anxiety are very much alive in, in you. And, you know, to be fair, you are more in the, the fearful avoidant or disorganized camp, which we know is high on both anxiety and avoidance. So that makes sense. Yeah, it's good fun. <laughs> Keeps it interesting. Uh, but 
yeah, I think to suggest that like avoidant attachment is somehow like devoid of anxiety as an emotion is um, really very much a misconception. And there is a lot of that, you know, worry and overthinking and worst case scenario kind of mentality. And that can be, again, it's sort of like, the same seed, but it sends you in different directions. Cause I think for avoidant folks, it's like, Oh, all of this paralyzing anxiety, I should just leave the relationship. <laughs> or like this must be a problem with the relationship. So I'll distance myself from that mm-hmm. because then I'll get to distance myself from those feelings. Mm-hmm. Whereas for more anxious people, it's like, uh, I feel all this anxiety about my relationship. I have to change it or solve it so that I can get away from these feelings. If I can change you, then I won't feel anxious anymore. Whereas for avoidant folks, it's like, if I leave the relationship, I won't be anxious anymore. If I can just by myself. Yeah. Then I get to be away from these feelings. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's a really, it comes down to, I feel like we really need to change the branding of attachment styles. I I prefer the original, you know, disorganized. It's a little bit more flattering than avoidant (laughs) because avoidant has pretty pretty bad rap of a, it's a, it's a negative word. Mm. You know, we avoid things because we're in fear of them or scared of them. And I don't think that's necessarily the case all the time um, with both dismissive and fearful avoidance. But yes, we experience anxiety just like everyone else, everyone else except for our secure friends. I think probably they even still experience anxiety. Uh, It's just not quite to the same degree. But yeah, as Steph said, I'm more likely to, I say I'm more likely 100% of the time, (laughs) I'm going to internalize it first. And it's just the way that I've been able to, I guess, operate during my life in this world is to trying to understand my place in it and and what is safe and what is not. And I've always been a a deep thinker and overthinking and and, and rumination. Uh, Something that I'm still working through at the moment, I'm working through this uh, more of the anxiety stuff uh, with a, a therapist at the moment. But yeah, I definitely experience all the anxiety and it particularly comes up and for a lot of fearful avoidance when our relationship is, is at its hardest times and especially through separation, you'll notice there is actually a lot of like anxious attachment patterns in fearful avoidance during breakups. Like we can both (laughs) completely be in denial and maybe that will last for a few weeks and then we have like a strong emotional pull and and mourning um, that is really, really deep. And we really go through this fear of, um, you know, I'm never going to meet someone like that again. And it took so much effort for me to open up to someone else. Like, I don't know if I can do that again. It is. We have, we have, deep anxieties, but it may not be expressed in (laughs) the way that is either optimal or favorable to other people. Yeah. I think that, um, my observation of that through being in relationship with you is like that 
when you are feeling threatened in some way, it tends to be a more avoidant response. But if there's any like insecurity or fear about the future of the relationship or anything like that, that tends to bring out more of the, the anxiety that is more typical of anxious attachment patterns. So Hmm. um, there's definitely a full spectrum of experience there. And I think it's just really a reminder that even though it can look different uh, and, and will tend to be internalized rather than acted out in more typical anxious attachment fashion, um, that doesn't mean that the underlying anxieties aren't there. And, you know, I would say, as I would say to anxious people, that like yeah, anxiety happens when we care a lot about something. <laughs> and so it kind of goes back to the, the previous point. But like, yeah, when, when we're invested in something, when something's important to us, then it can bring up a lot of fear and worry and, you know, wanting to de-risk and worrying about the worst case scenario. All of those things I think go hand in hand. Okay. The last one that we want to share misconception about avoidant attachment is avoidant people never change. We don't. (laughs) That's it. No, that one's actually true. No, just kidding. Um, yeah, I think again, like sweeping generalization, right? Avoidant people never change. I think there is, some truth in the fact that for some avoidant people, particularly those with more dismissive patterns, there can be a pretty strong resistance to doing the work, so to speak, particularly in the manner that people with more anxious patterns might like to do it. For example, listening to podcasts like this or doing a course or reading a book. Um, you know, I, I had someone ask me on Instagram the other day, about, you know, I'm, I'm doing all of this reading and that, and my partner's not doing any, and it's so unfair. And why should I be the one doing it all? And I think that's a very common sentiment and it's a common frustration. Um, but at the same time, I think we have to recognize, as I've spoken about before, that, uh, the work, so to speak, looks different for everyone and we can't reasonably impose our own, uh, expectations of what that has to look like in someone else's process. And that will very reliably elicit more resistance and defensiveness in them. But in any event, um, to suggest that someone will never change, I kind of have a problem with that more broadly when people say like, Oh, people never change, you know, like I just, that's so fundamentally at odds with my personal experience of myself and Mm. so many other people. I think we are all, changing all the time. Yeah. Um, but I think when you're saying like, oh, well, these people are never going to change or is my partner going to change? I think we have to get a little bit more curious about like, is my partner, like, can I accept my partner as they are while also wanting to be in a relational environment of growth and, you know, continued investment in ourselves and each other? Mm. Um, but I think that's a very different proposition to like requiring someone to change as some sort of condition of being in the relationship, which tends not to work terribly well. It's, you have to hold, you almost have to hold two opposing ideas. Something's got to change here, but also this person who's in front of me, I love and those two things can coexist. Yeah. I find it also 
a little bit irritating uh, when I do hear this because it makes me assume that someone isn't changing at your pace, at your rate. And I can guarantee most people all the time are changing and they're learning and it's we can't force feed people audio books or books. We can't force people to sit down and quote unquote do the work. But if you're having honest conversations, if you really care for this person and you care about the relationship, I think it will change over time. Yeah, I think it's it's all about, and you know, I talk about this so much, it's like change the environment of your relationship rather than trying to change your partner. And if you are doing your part to contribute to an overall relational environment that is characterized by love and care and support and acceptance, appreciation, generosity, all of the things that you want your relationship to be about, uh, just tend to the environment and trust that like things will grow better in a healthier environment rather than staying swirling around in a really dysfunctional environment and wondering why nothing's growing there. It's like, I really ask yourself, are the conditions that I am maybe not single-handedly creating, but contributing to or perpetuating hmm. are those like conducive to growth? Do they inspire growth or is it like a high stress, high blame, you know, dysfunctional, disconnected relational landscape? Hmm. Um, and, you know, can I really be surprised that growth isn't happening here? So I, I think it is really just about like, you know, people do change and grow. Yeah. Um, and I've we'll changed. continue. Yeah, you've, you've absolutely. I've, I've changed quite a bit. I, I reflect on this a lot because you know, as we're coming up to having a child, it's made me reflect really on how fast life comes at you and, you know, sudden sudden news or, or, or life changes can really propel you into a different direction so quickly. And I've reflecting in the last three to four years, I'm like, oh, I don't even if I was being honest with myself and I, I look back on little entries or journal entries and they might just be a few words or, or a couple of lines. I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm changing. And I like to look back and I want to, my goal is to just laugh at myself and just always, like we were talking about today, just look back and just realize like how young you were, like how young was I a year <laughs> ago? <laughs> like how silly was I? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's true. I think, you know, in the course of our relationship, past couple of years, we've both changed and grown. And we've had lot. to work on it. And we've had to work on it a lot. Uh, so all of that to say, um, change is, is always possible. Uh, I guess it's just, you know, if it's going to be like really inspired growth, then we're going to be growing in the same direction in a way that's aligned uh, you really do need to tend to those environmental factors, tend to the condition, tend to the climate of your relationship uh, and trust that whatever growth needs to happen will happen organically on those foundations rather than like kind of having your hands around someone's neck or, you know, shaking them violently saying, why won't you change to suit me um, because you're causing me pain at the moment. I don't think that that's, that's tends not to be a very effective strategy. So 
those were some common misconceptions about avoidant attachment. I might just quickly recap that because gosh, we rambled on for a bit there. So the first one was avoidant people have an aversion to relationships. They don't want to be in relationships. Second one was avoidant people only care about themselves or selfish, narcissistic, all of those labels that we can slap on. Uh, The third was avoidant people don't experience anxiety about their relationships. And the fourth was that avoidant people never change or can't change. So I hope that that's been helpful. I hope it's given you a new perspective on some of those points and given you some insights about things that you maybe didn't quite appreciate or some some nuances there. Uh, And as we said at the start, if you are someone who is more anxious and you're wanting to work on that through the support of my program, definitely check out Healing Anxious Attachment, the wait list, um, which you can join via my website. I suppose I should probably add at the end as well, given what we were talking about today and the fact that you're here, Joel. We also have a couples course called Secure Together, which we created last year. So Joel is my co-coach, I suppose, in that one and represents (laughs) the avoidance side of the street. Uh, And that's a really great course for, for anxious avoidant couples to work through together or if you're in a relationship and you want to work through it just to understand your relationship and your partner better. And we've had some really beautiful feedback about that, particularly you know, Joel's presence there and how for a lot of people's partners who were more avoidant that that really created a lot of safety for them and allowed them to feel like a lot less intimidated, I suppose, about the whole idea of sitting down and doing a couple's course, which we, you know, might not be the most appealing invitation for some folks who do lean more avoidant. So you can also check out Secure Together if uh, you're in a relationship and wanting to work on some of the things we've talked about today. And uh, there's a discount code to save $200. So if you insert the code SECURE, you can save $200 on that course. Okay. That's all from us today. We are signing off from Bangkok Hmm. uh, and look forward to seeing you again next time. Thanks guys. Bye guys. Thanks for joining me for this episode of On Attachment. If you want to go deeper on all things attachment, love, and relationships, you can find me on Instagram at stephanie underscore underscore rig or at stephanierig.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could leave a review and a five-star rating. It really does help so much. Thanks again for being here, and I hope to see you again soon.